line in Psalm chapter 19, so uh, you might want to grab that if you have it from last week. I don't know if we have any others. I'm not really sure. I think we might have used them all. Uh, and if not, oh, hey, we do still have a few, so if you would like one to continue on, uh, you can go ahead and just kind of raise a hand as they uh, fight over who's going to love it, fight over who's going to be the one to get them out. So, all right, Psalm 19. Uh, actually, we have a couple of verses that we're supposed to say together. So let's say uh, these two verses together, and then I'll continue on. Is that all right? If you would do that with me, let's say the reference, uh, Psalm 19, 7 and 8, like we're supposed to, and then those two verses, and I'll continue on and finish that passage. Join with me. Psalm 19, 7 and 8. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Let's pray. Father, open our, our minds, our hearts, our eyes to the, your truth. Thank you for the Bible, for the Word of God. Thank you for the uh, wonderful picture and, and truth that is shared in these verses to encourage our hearts and to urge us to stay true to you. Uh, may we do what these verses talk about. May we love the Word of God. May we learn the Word of God. May we live it. And, uh, and I pray that the challenge this evening would, be, uh, would stir our hearts to uh, especially have a desire to learn what your Word has for us. I'll thank you for what you do. Thank you for the opportunity now we have to look into this uh, great passage of Scripture. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You hear about the new pastor. He went to a church and he had been warned about the woeful lack of understanding of Bible truth in the church that he was taking over. But, well, he accepted the call. He figured it couldn't be that bad. And so he went. Well, the first Sunday, he decided that uh, uh, since he wasn't teaching a Sunday school class, he was going to observe a Sunday school just to kind of know what's going on and maybe uh, see what things are taking place. And so he went into a fourth grade classroom. And the teacher obviously made a big deal. The pastor, the new pastor's here. And the pastor was asked to say a word. Well, he noticed pictures on the wall about the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea, and he figured that's what had been, you know, taught on, at least in the class recently. And so he asked this question to the class, who broke down the walls of Jericho? And a boy, Timmy, raised his hand, and he answered, not me, sir. Well, the pastor was kind of taken back by the answer. He looked at the teacher and he said, is this typical? And she looked very earnestly and replied, I believe Timmy is honest. I don't think he did it. <laughs> well, the pastor, you know, I mean, he, he can't believe his ears. So before the service, he went to the head deacon. And the deacon responded, I've known Timmy and the teacher for years. Neither of them would ever do such a thing. Well, again, you know, the pastor, I mean... He just can't believe it. Maybe, maybe what he heard was true. So he goes to the Sunday school superintendent. The Sunday school superintendent says, Pastor, 
Let's not make an issue of this. Let's just pay for the damaged walls and charge it to maintenance. Now, we know such a thing never happened. At least we sincerely hope it never happened at any church any pastor ever went to. But the fact is today, many in churches across our country have very little knowledge of the Bible. Uh, They may know who who broke down the walls of Jericho. Uh, They may be able to tell you at least a few facts about the Bible, but it's amazing as you look at and as you talk to people. I've made sometimes even Christians in good churches like ours who have very little knowledge of Bible truth. They've never really learned the Bible. And yet, if we're going to make it in life, we need to know what this book says. Uh, There are a lot of people today that are in churches that are in doctrinal error. You know why? Because they have never come to a place where they've learned the Word of God. It wasn't too long ago. uh, I want to say it was probably about two years ago or so. A gentleman pulled into the church parking lot and uh, and struck up a conversation. I'm not exactly sure what happened or why. I, it might have been around the time when, remember, we had that issue with uh, uh, guys breaking into our, our shed and they got nothing out of it. You remember that story? I think it was around that time. Guy pulled into the parking lot and, and struck up a conversation. He says, he says yeah, you, you won't hear of this often, but I'm a saved Catholic. And uh, just this past week, I, I don't know why that, that, uh, that story came to mind. You know, I thought to myself when I was considering the story, you know, if you're saved, you shouldn't be a Catholic. You should grow to the place, you should have grown to the place where you understand that the doctrine that's taught there is totally contrary to the Word of God, that a work salvation is, is being emphasized and focused on, and that's no place for truly a Christian to stay. But we have a lot of people like that in our day. They don't know truth, and as a result, they're led into things that are are wrong. Now, look, you and I need to know the truth of the Word of God if we're going to stay true to the Word of God. We've got to learn the Word, and that's where we're going to focus our attention because Psalm chapter 19 talks about, if you would, the need to learn and the wonderful reason why we ought learn the Word of God. And that's going to be our focus. In fact, we're going to look at its value. That's Roman numeral two in your outline, its value. We have already seen and we spent time to look at uh, the wonderful truth about the virtue of the Word of God or why we should love it. I mean, it's, its virtue comes from the fact that it is God's Word. And uh, we're told that over and over. In fact, something that sometimes I've just kind of overlooked, not... Not that it wasn't there, but I just kind of never said anything about it. But six times he said over and over, the law of the Lord, uh, it, the, uh, the testimony of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. And so he repeated over and over and over this idea. It's, it's God's word. It comes from the creator, from Jehovah. And he took time. I, I still marvel at this, that he took time to talk to us and to tell us, The things that he likes, the things he doesn't like. The things that we should do, the things we shouldn't do. Uh, The way we should walk, the way we shouldn't walk. Uh, What we need to know about him and about life in general. uh, That God has given us these things. And then its virtue is also seen in the wonderful content. Uh, The law, it's the law of God and it's perfect. It's the testimony of God and it's sure. And we've spent time looking at all of the, the six things that are found in that list. So now we get to its value, why we should learn the Word of God. 
The Bible is a valuable book. Someone commented on that subject. Um, in fact, it was a Scottish pastor, and, uh, and he wrote these words. The Bible is an armory of heavenly weapons, a laboratory of infallible truth, healing medicines, a mine of exhaustless wealth. It is a guidebook for every road, a chart for every sea, a medicine for every malady, and a balm for every wound. Rob us of our Bible, and our sky has lost its sun. How do you feel about the Bible? God tells us why we should value, why we should long to learn from the Bible. The fact of the matter is, if you love it, you're going to seek to learn it. It's true, because if you love someone, you want to learn everything about them, isn't that? We understand that. But let's look at what God says in these verses, because this is often where we focus our attention, at least it seems like in preaching I've heard on Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect. And what does it do? Okay, so let's mention that first, and let's put that down as letter A. It converts the soul. Now think about this. What if the Word of God had blemishes? What if it weren't perfect? We already looked at this fact, and we mentioned it last week. The law of the Lord is perfect, but it's important that it is. And the reason why is because it then has the ability to convert the soul. If it had blemishes, if it has blemishes, if it isn't perfect, if it isn't totally clean, then you know what? We're in trouble. Some so-called scholars in our day tell us the Bible isn't perfect except in the matters of salvation. That's how they'll often put it. Well, the Bible isn't perfect in every area. So then, you know, really, God didn't create the world in six literal days. He used the process of evolution. You'll hear the uh, scholar, scholars, men who love the word of God, say things like that. And then they'll say, but in matters of salvation. Well, look, if it isn't right in Genesis 1, why is it right in Ephesians 2? If it isn't right in this place, how do we know it's true in another place? So when God says the law of the Lord is perfect, it's important because if it isn't, then we can't count on it to convert the soul. But because the law of God is perfect, then what we can count on it to do is to bring about the conversion of the soul. Get this. Your eternal destiny rests upon the fact that the Bible is without blemish. And if anyone ever tells you differently, they are not a Bible scholar they're a fool. The Bible is a perfect book, and because it is, it has the ability to convert the soul. What does it mean to convert the soul? Interesting, interesting truth. I, you say, well, it means to be saved. Okay. The word convert uh, means to turn back. It turns the soul back. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, maybe, have you ever seen a highway sign that said, you just missed it? Have you ever seen... One like that. There, every once in a while you see something like that and it's kind of like, all right, well, what'd you just miss? And then there'll be another billboard or it will say on the billboard, you just missed, you know, um, I, I don't know, um, the citrus heaven, you know? And uh, so turn around at the next exit and head back. Well, the idea is you, you went past, you, you missed what you needed to and you need to turn back. The law of the Lord is trustworthy enough and valuable enough so that it turns people back to the way they need to go. It turns people to God. The law of God clearly reveals that. In fact, Galatians says that very fact. The law is our schoolmaster to bring us to God. It says, hey, turn back. There's someone you missed. 
there's a, a, a mark you missed. You are not perfect, you're sinful, and you need a Savior. So it converts the soul. It turns people back. You just missed it. Turn around and go the other, uh, the other way. So if we were to ask the question, why should I learn the Bible? Here's the reason why. Because it'll, it'll uh, convert the soul. It'll turn you in the direction you need to go toward God. It'll turn man back to God. Now you say, well, I'm saved. You're preaching to the crowd Sunday night. We're all part of the family of God. We've all trusted Christ. Well, I don't want to assume that. But on the other hand, that may very well be the case, that everyone in this room has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But you know, if you're saved, it even should mean a lot. You say, what do you mean by that? And, and why do I need to learn it? Because the fact of the matter is no one is turned back to God unless they learn the Word of God. So the first reason why a Christian should want to learn the Word of God is because it is the book that's going to convert people and help them see they've missed the mark. And the only way they're going to know it is if you know it. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So as a Christian, you ought to be challenged. If you don't know how to lead someone to Christ, you need to learn. And this book will tell you that, and you need to spend time digging in this book and finding the answer. It has never ceased to amaze me. As we've already said, there's a lot of people who don't know the Bible, and even Christians, who can't even share their own testimony clearly. So that you, you, you sit there and you say, all right, how do you know you're saved? And you'll hear all sorts of things. Uh, from lost people, yes, but sometimes even from Christians who can't clearly explain how they came to faith in Jesus Christ. And look, if you can't do that, you won't help someone be converted to Christ. But let me also bring another idea out because when we talk about converting the soul, we often think of that in regard to salvation. But if convert means truly to turn someone back, aren't there times when Christians need that? Now, I'm not talking about Christians don't need salvation. He never says anything about salvation in that statement. So to argue it can only mean salvation isn't necessarily accurate. You see, Christians sometimes need to be turned back. Christians get, get, go, to the, grow, go past the exit, and they need at times to be told, hey, go back, you left God. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works. Isn't that not a call to convert the soul, if you would, to turn back? And get your life back. So there is a message even for Christians in this. First, that there are people who need the gospel, and I need to learn the word of God so I can adequately and accurately help them understand the truth so they might be saved. And by the way, winning people to Christ requires that you learn, and the more you learn of the Bible, the more effective you'll be because Jesus Christ and witnessing people used all sorts of methods. The woman at the well and Nicodemus were led to Christ two very different ways. And the more you know the Bible, the more you know truth, the more you'll be able to help. And then the other thing about converting the soul is you need to learn this book because it's going to help you to stay on the right path or to get back to the right path when you've gotten off. So learn the Word of God. Notice, if you would, in verse 7, the second thing, the testimony of the Lord is sure. So what does it do? And why do you need to learn it? It makes wise the simple. There you go. The word simple means silly. Say, I'm not silly. Okay. But the intent and the idea here is easily seduced. Now, not in the way we often understand that phrase or we understand that term. We could say it would keep you from being easily seduced in the matter of the flesh. 
because that's how we look at this word, but actually in all areas of life. There, there are a lot of, if you would, seductions to pull us away from God. There are a lot of things that pull on the lust of our flesh and the desires of our heart and of our, of our mind that want to take us away from God. And simple people follow those things. Simple people give in to those things. Simple people are, are, are folks that are easily duped. And a Christian needs to stand firm and know what they believe. And, and quite honestly, it gives you stability and, and helps you to make wise decisions in a day in which people are making really, really foolish decisions all around us. Psalm 119, 130 says this, The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. And that's what the Bible will do for you. Uh, let me tell you about a story that was in the newspaper a number of years ago. 600 people in Italy wanted to ride a spaceship so bad, kid you not, they paid $10,000 apiece for first-class tourist flight to Mars. According to the Italian police in the newspaper, the would-be space travelers were told to spend their next vacation on Mars amid the splendors of ruined temples and painted deserts. Ride a Martian camel from oasis to oasis and enjoy the incredible Martian sunsets. Explore mystery, mysterious canals and marvel at the views. Trips to the moon are also available. Now you say, okay, really, seriously. Yeah, 600 people wanted to do it. Authorities believe that con men running that scam made off with $6 million. Yeah, now you laugh, I know. You think, man, this is crazy. Hey, look, scammers can fool people into doing crazy things. I'll tell you something, if, if you knew Bible principles, you wouldn't do something so, so silly. You wouldn't. If you understood that that would be an absolute, I mean, it's a frivolous waste. I'm not going to Mars on the next vacation. I mean, besides the fact that we know it's absolutely ludicrous, anyone who's wise wouldn't make that, wouldn't make that cho choice, wouldn't do that. I, I am so thankful that the Bible gives wisdom. And that just helps us to know. Um, this, in the last couple of years, we've really needed wisdom as we face some, some things that, quite frankly, have caused silly people to get all bent out of shape. I mean, ridiculous things going on today by silly people who are so taken and controlled by things that aren't factual and things that aren't true. So I'm thankful for a Bible like that. In the former ministry, uh, there was a young man who had a sincere desire to live for God. And, and you know, honestly, in, in many ways, that's lacking in a, in a lot of people. And you don't see that all that often in young people. Um, he was one who read his Bible. He hungered for truth. He was a faithful witness. He was at church all the time. And you know what people said about him? Here's the comment they, they made, and I've heard this about numerous people, but I, I just remember about this young man. He's mature beyond his years. Have you ever heard someone say, someone say that about that? Okay, what made him mature beyond his years? It wasn't him. Let me tell you, it was the Bible. He was someone who was sincere about reading the Word, about studying the Word, about learning the Word, and it gave him a maturity a wisdom. It makes wise, simple 
people. The testimony of the Lord is a great book. Look, if you would, at verse 8, because we continue on. The statutes of the Lord, they're right. And what do they do? It rejoices the heart. Albert Barnes explained that the mandates that God gives are equitable and just. We've already looked at that fact, and we shared that as we looked at the passage last week. But then he explained, and he put it this way, uh, they're equitable and just, making the heart glad by the fact that they are equitable and just, and glad as the result of obedience. It's always a source of true happiness when we can feel that we're under just and equal laws, laws in themselves right, and laws administered in righteousness and truth. Didn't, the, or didn't Solomon write that in Proverbs 29? When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. I don't know about you, but I've been in mourning for about a year now. Um, and, and, and before that, as much as you can say about things that we didn't, uh, didn't like and didn't appreciate, uh, at least there were just laws. And, uh, and it just, it's a, a whole different world, isn't it? Um, to be able to open a book that holds just equitable rules and know that guiding your life by it is gonna, are going to bring the results that are promised is a great thing. Uh, a lot of... A lot of books can't provide and don't provide the joy that the Bible does. You know, when something's right and it's followed, there's joy. When it's wrong, there's frustration and anger. Uh, that's true in a lot of ways. Um, but a story was told and a story was found uh, about that when the U.S. government built a dock in Brooklyn, New York, when it was finished, this is years ago, when they inspected it, they found it to be they found it to be two feet too short to take in the vessels it was supposed to take in. Let me tell you, that's not good. Well, as the government always does a good job in this, it, it occurred that there was a problem. Someone did something wrong, and so they tried to figure it out. Well, they didn't know how it all happened. A marvel of all marvels. But when they did an investigation, they found that the contractor, when he made his measurements, used a tape line, which was a fraction of an inch short. He didn't know it. Now, either it shrunk, and again, this was years ago, and those kind of things, well, who knows? It could probably even happen today. Or it was imperfectly made at first. You know, everything's getting smaller anyway. Maybe inches are getting smaller. So, so it's just a fraction of an inch. You think, well, not a big deal. Yes, it is when you're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet. And so the dock came up too short because they didn't have the right thing to measure it by. The importance of a correct standard is the lesson. is so important. And, and here's the truth. There wasn't a lot of joy when, the, when, when that opened because it wasn't big enough and they had to spend... Tons of dollars to fix this problem. But you know, when a building goes up and it's built right, and everything is, is proper, what happens at a, at a thing like that? There's joy. People don't come saying, oh, this is horrible. There's joy. It's true. When the measure is right, when the standard is right, when things turn out right, there is, there is joy. And so, uh, if you would... With the Bible, you can be sure that its tape measure, it's right. 
and the results will be right. And I'll tell you, that leads to joy. It does. Not always because the results are something that makes you happy, but because the results are right. And I think there's a wonderful example of that in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, in Nehemiah chapter 8, there's a revival that takes place amongst God's people. Uh, actually, a couple of revivals take, seem to take place in Ezra and Nehemiah. And uh, in Nehemiah chapter 8, the Bible says that they heard the words of God preached from Ezra, and then they were mourning. I mean, they were really, really sad. And Ezra made a statement. He said, and you know the statement, you've heard the phrase before, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, they needed to feel bad because when they heard the word of the law and they understood it, they realized they weren't doing that which is right. But he said, I want you to be joyful today because you've understood the word of God. And because then, if you understand the word of God and you follow the word of God, there's hope. And so you know what the people did at the end of that passage? And all the people went their way to eat, to drink, to send portions, to make great mirth, mirth because... They had understood the words which were declared unto them. And listen, when you understand the word, this perfect standard, and when you follow the word, it will result in joy brought to your life because its directions are always right. Look in verse 8, and we learn yet another thing, the fourth thing, the letter D in your outline. What does it do? The commandment of the Lord is pure it enlightens the eyes. The Bible can open up the understanding of men and direct their paths in the right way. The commandment of, of, for the commandment is a lamp and the law is light and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Proverbs 6.23, just brought that out recently on a Wednesday evening. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Psalm 119, that was supposed to be read during Sunday school this morning. Uh, verse... Verses 105, Brother, Brother Duncan said he was going to read all of Psalm 119. Then he didn't, so. Okay, sorry, Brother Umstead. All right, there you go. You're, you're going to be Brother Umstead. Um, I, I, here's another statement I've heard before. You ever hear teachers say they saw the light go on? Okay, what, what is that? A teacher has a subject that is confusing her students. And so she's teaching. It doesn't seem to be getting through. And rather than move to the next lesson, the teacher knows that this is important. Maybe it's foundational to the next thing. So she goes back and thinks of another way to present it to the class. The next day she gets before her class and she teaches it then this new way. And as she does, it's like the truth finally makes sense. And they're able to do what confounded them before. And the light came on. Okay, the Bible is like a, a light for the mind. It enlightens us. It helps us understand things in their proper perspective and understand things that we've never been able to completely understand before. You know, it's amazing to me. I've met people who, before they were saved, if you talk to them about certain things that the Bible teaches, they would say, no, I don't understand. That doesn't make any sense to me. But when they get saved and they get into the Word of God and, they, and it's like the Bible opens their understanding and all of a sudden it's like, wow, I understand why why a Christian should do that. I understand why you should do that. I understand why this should change in my life. The Bible is a book, and I need to learn it because I need light. I need the light to come on. You say, Pastor, you need more to come on up there. I understand that. 
But we all need light. We need understanding. We need that, under, uh, that, that enlightening of our mind and our eyes. And the Bible does that. Have you ever had an issue or problem that you were going through? And you read your Bible. And as you were reading your Bible, a verse just like jumped out. And, and, and you saw it and you say, man, that's the answer I needed. You ever, you ever been there? I'll tell you, it's a, it is a wonderful thing to open your Bible, to read it, and have it just speak to you and share with you a truth that just kind of opened your eyes up to something that maybe you just hadn't seen clearly or you hadn't been able to make a decision on or you, you just didn't know exactly what to do. The Bible is a wonderful book. Now, don't you want a book that gives light for the path of life? You know, so many people are, are just miserable and messed up I know we've been praying for, for a, a, a man that, you know, you know, somewhere, somehow, we got away from the light. And, um, and it's just a wonderful thing when the Bible can just turn the light on and give us understanding. But it, it's not going to happen if it sits on a shelf. And it's not going to happen if I don't take the time to learn it. But if I do, uh, it will enlighten the eyes. Uh, verse 9 tells us in, in letter E in your outline, what does it do? The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Let, let me just put it this way, because I know we've looked kind of at the whole phrase, but it provides eternal truth. It provides eternal truth. Um, that's remarkable. Eternal truth. Um, think about that. The math I was taught growing up, yeah, I can say that now. The math I was taught growing up is not the math they teach today. Actually, that's because they, they just don't even teach math. As you can tell when you go to a, a grocery store and they have to make sure that the machine tells them how much change to give, and then, and then they're there and they're trying to figure out how many pennies you're supposed to get. They say, no one taught this person math, did they? Or you give them, you know, it's like it's like eighteen dollars and five cents. So you give them a nickel, so you can get two, two dollars back. Okay. Uh, what do you mean, two dollars back? Well, if I give you five cents, and I'm giving you a twenty, it's eighteen oh five. Then you give me two dollars back. It's like I can't do that. The machine says a dollar ninety five. It's amazing, you know. Math, okay, I don't know how I got off. Yeah, I got off on the subject because math isn't done. Science books I read don't have the same scientific uh, information. Um, uh, things found to be false have been removed and some lies have been added. Actually, a lot of lies have been added. The fact is, things change. I, I don't know if you uh, can, can just grasp this. I, seriously, it's hard to imagine. But the Bible has never changed. Never. And, and it was true when God had it in his mind before the world began. And he had it penned by men and he had them write what he wanted them to write. And everything they wrote is true and it will be true if the world still is around a thousand years from now. And it's already been true for some about 5,000 years. 
I, I know of no book that hasn't had to be changed in 5,000 5, years. Uh, it, is, it is an amazing thing. Someone wrote this about the eternality of Scripture. I want you to think about it. Old books go out of date. Whatever they were about, men no longer care for them. He said, books are human. They have a time to be born. They grow in strength. They have a middle life of usefulness. Then comes old age. They totter and they die. Many of the national libraries are merely the cemeteries of dead books. Some were virtuous and accomplished a glorious mission. Some went into the ashes through inquisitorial fires. Did I say that right? You don't know. Yeah, okay. He went on. I wish people wouldn't use big words. Uh, not, so, not so with one old book. It, it started in the world's infancy. It grew under theocracy and monarchy. It withstood the storms of fire. It grew under the prophet's mantle and under the fisherman's coat of the apostles. In Rome, in Ephesus, in Jerusalem, at Patmos, tyranny issued edicts against it. Uh, the, uh, and infidelity put out the tongue and the papacy from its monasteries and Mohammedism from its mosques hurled their anathemas. But the old Bible lived. It came across the British Channel and was greeted by Wycliffe and, and James. It came across the Atlantic and struck Plymouth Rock until, like that of Horeb, it gushed with blessedness. Churches and asylums have gathered all along its way, ringing their bells and stretching out their hands of blessings. But it would not have accomplished its mission until, but it will not have accomplished its mission until it's climbed the icy mountains of Greenland until it's gone over the granite cliffs of China, until it's thrown its glow amid the Australian mines, until it has scattered its gems among the diamond districts of Brazil, and all thrones shall be gathered into one throne, and all crowns by the fires of revolution shall be melted into one crown, and this book shall be at the very gate of heaven, having waved in the ransomed empires, and not until then that glorious Bible will have accomplished its mission. Isn't that beautiful? This book is eternal. Its truth is eternal. It doesn't change. What was wrong thousands of years ago is still wrong. What was right thousands of years ago is still right. It doesn't change. It's eternal truth. I got to tell you, that is so encouraging as a pastor. Um, and it's encouraging as a Christian. Its verdicts, verse 9, are completely right. Again, uh, this kind of goes along the same idea, but you followed directions and they were wrong, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, this is how you get there. Go through two lights, turn left. You go through two lights, turn left. doesn't get you there. You've been there before. Probably didn't listen to the instructions correctly, right? But, uh, you know, well, I know exactly where that is. You've had someone give you direction and counsel you followed, find out it was bad advice, didn't you, at some time? But you will never go wrong when you get in this book and look to it for counsel. You never go wrong. It'll always give you the right advice. <laughs> always give you the right directives, always. 
There's wonderful comfort in being able to walk through life confident that your decision was the right decision no matter what the consequences that come because your decision was based on this book that is true and righteous altogether. But doesn't that tell us we need to learn it? Because it doesn't matter if it has all the truth in the world and, it, and that truth never changes if you don't open it, if you don't dig into it, if you don't learn it. Right? You hold in your hands the most miraculous book ever written, ever. But it's of no value unless you dig into its pages and learn what it has for you. My friends, the more time you'll spend digging into this book, the better off you'll be. Learn it. Each one of these points urges us to learn it. There's actually more to come with that. A couple more thoughts. He, doesn't, he leaves the subject that seems like in verse 10 and verse 11 he's going to get to another, and we're going to finish that up next time we have opportunity to meet. And then we're going to learn why we should or how we should live it because this passage tells us that as well. Father, thank you for this book. Help us to stay true to it. Help us to see the great value of Scripture and therefore long to learn the truths and the things found here that we might walk well-pleasing to the one who bought us with his blood. Thank you for the wonderful privilege Thank you for the beautiful truth of Psalm 19. And may it drive us to dig in this book, to desire it, to long for it, to learn it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.